0: Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter number 16, to all of our visitors. I want to say, Brother brother Lonnie, his wife is back here, and children, and we are so delighted to have them back in Cornerstone. Somebody say, praise God. Amen. Matthew, chapter number 16, familiar passage of Scripture Uh, to some of us, we're going to look at. Some of this today, Matthew chapter number 16, and we're going to start in verse number 13. Matthew 16 and 13. Amen. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now, this is this is a loaded question for several reasons. Not only is Jesus going to hear the resonation of what the public thought who he was that was resounding in the ears of his disciples. But notice how he said the son of man. There were many places where it was unequivocally declared he was the son of God. But you see, he was son of man on his mother's side. Okay, now there's a revelation here today and that's That's what I'm I'm aiming at. I'm aiming for the center of a target, for an understanding to be established in this congregation here today. Okay? Now, Jesus said the Son of Man. Let's continue to read. And his disciples responded by saying, Some say that thou art John the Baptist. Some, Elias, which is, of course, the prophet of the Old Testament. Others, Jeremias, or one of the prophets. And Jesus said unto them, but whom say ye that I am? You cannot base your theological understanding on the opinions of a religious culture. Jesus first wanted to establish what has filled your ears about me. Now, what do you say about me? Without even a second going by in verse number 16, Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus proposed this as being the Son of Man. But Peter said, No, I got a revelation. I don't care what anybody said. I don't care what anybody thinks. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Because Peter received a revelation from the Spirit, it was a revelation. Jesus is going to reveal that here in a minute. Now Peter gets a revelation of how God sees him. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee. That's talking about the human race. But my Father which is in heaven. Of course, we know the Father is the Holy Ghost according to Luke chapter number 1. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. Jesus is now giving Peter a revelation of how God sees him. Not how his parents saw him. Not how guys on the job see him. Not how people, his next-door neighbors see him. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock, the revelation that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Peter not only got an identity, but Peter got purpose. God-given, God-ordained purpose and equipment. He was equipped by God for his purpose. I'm going to talk to us for a few moments this morning, this afternoon, whatever it is, on the keys of the kingdom, the keys of the kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We praise you. There's nobody like you. I pray that the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him would reign in this building, dispelling the opinions of men and the perspective of theologians and historic miscalculations about the identity of the only wise God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Anybody said amen? God bless you. You may be seated. If you truly get a revelation from God, It is on purpose. And revelations are not like pieces of bubble gum that are passed out in Sunday school classes. They are not given just for showing up. Revelations are given because an individual is seeking after it. And I don't know about you, but I am living for God today not because other people want me to live for God. I am living for God because I have a revelation about what this is all about. If a human being obtains this revelation, any revelation, you will never be the same. It will change your entire constitution of thinking, your comprehension, your inlook your outlook, your psyche, how you walk, how you talk. I'm not saying you won't have moments of weakness, but undergirding it all. Sin will never taste the same. Worldliness will never be enjoyed the same. Because you have seen a glimpse, a view, an understanding comprehension that these are not just words on a page, but they are life in Jesus' name. I want to talk to us for a little while about the keys of the kingdom. Peter, of course, received a revelation. It's no mystery to me why Peter was a recipient of this revelation. You might recall that Peter was the one that got out of the boat. He saw Jesus walking on the water, and he was the only one that requested to come out there. He said, if you're if you're Jesus, I want to come out there where you are. And so Peter was the very first of all the disciples to experience the supernatural. And this made him, I believe, in Luke chapter number 22, when Jesus looked at Peter and said, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you. That is no mystery to me. It wasn't just some casual rolling of the dice. Um, Satan wanted Peter because Peter posed a threat to the kingdom of darkness. He had already experienced the supernatural by walking on an element of water in which Peter himself had been in many very various dangerous environments being a fisherman and now he walked on water and now he has a revelation from the spirit which wedded together with experiencing the supernatural and now uh, opening your life up, opening up a portal of understanding of revelation, made Peter a threat to the kingdom of darkness. And so with this revelation, this correct answer of the identity of Jesus, Peter further obtains an understanding of how God sees him, and God sees him, as, as somebody powerful. Peter is not the rock on which the church is built. That's the mistake that the Roman Catholic Church has made. Some of you are going to get an understanding right here. But the Roman Catholic Church has understood that the very first vicar, V-I-C-A-R, the very first apostle um, of and the very first pope of the Catholic Church is the Apostle Peter because they have misinterpreted that in Matthew chapter number 16, When Jesus said that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, the Catholic Church has interpreted that it was upon Peter that Jesus was going to build his church. I'm going to tell you there is no human being that God is going to build this church on. It is only the revelation of who Jesus Christ is that will stand against the gates of hell and the prevailing winds of darkness. Oh, somebody clap your hands and give God the praise. My statements misunderstand my, my motive here. I'm not, I'm not angry with any group. When I It is my responsibility as a spiritual practitioner, and it's part of my calling that, uh, that my role is not only to, to give the body of Christ and to this world give truth according to the Word of God, but it is also to dispel and also to clear up misperceptions and misunderstandings that are in our world today. In fact, I want to take that a step further. I believe that there are millions, Hear me. I believe that there are millions of human beings in this world that are alive in the end time that God intends on saving. I don't care if they were born a Catholic. I don't, you you put whatever name, and I'm I just pulled that out because I've already mentioned it. It doesn't matter what denomination. Denominations are man-made walls that were instituted for belief systems. And if you love truth, God is going to pull you out. God will pull you off a pew, off a church a 1,000 miles from here and bring you to a place of revelation and understanding. Clap your hands and give him praise. I was raised as a young boy. I was raised United Methodist. My grandfather was a United Methodist preacher for 40 years, and he did not understand this particular passage of Scripture. And how it interconnects, it's almost like a crossroad for the entirety of the Word of God. The enormity of what's taking place here in Matthew chapter number 16 uh, cannot be diminished. It's huge, It's, it's incredible, the magnitude of getting a revelation of who Jesus really is. It's everything. And I know there's people here, good people. There's good people that are here that are saying, yeah, I know, I know who He is. Um, I've learned who he was from a child, and I appreciate that. But I want you to keep an open mind here today and listen to the Word of God. I hope you brought your Bibles with you, because this is not just a Bible-believing church. This is a Bible-living church. We don't just live one way in the parking lot and another way at home, or live another way at home than we do in, in the house of God. We want to be what God wants us to be everywhere, at all times, in front of all people. Clap your hands and give him praise. said, thou art a small pebble, Petros. And upon this rock of revelation, and it wasn't just the information. It was the entirety of the sequence of how that information was given to a human being. It wasn't just the data that Peter responded by saying, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, which is indeed correct. But it is the entire process or sequence in how revelation is given to a mortal, to where they can understand things that are beyond words on a page, and by hundreds of years of a Reformation theology. And so Jesus said, Thou art Petros, which means a small pebble, and upon this rock, which is like the rock of Gibraltar, I will build my church, talking about the entire sequence and the data of revelation. I will build my church and the gates of hell. The entrance of people going to hell will not be able to prevail against a revelation and a revival church That is rooted in this revelation. Cornerstone is not here because of some headquarters somewhere. We are not here because of a boardroom that demographically selected that we come here. We are here by the power and the direction of an almighty God. And we're not alone. It's all over the land. All over the world. The apostolic one God people are being sent by the Holy Ghost because there is hunger in the world today. Jesus said the gates of hell shall not prevail against this revelation and this church that is built on revelation. And I will equip you, Peter. I will furnish you. I will, because you have this revelation, I will endue you. There is a God-given endowment to perform. What Peter is being called to do. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Hallelujah. The keys of the kingdom of heaven. Somebody gave me these. Kind of cool looking, aren't they? They're just for decoration. But in our last summit conference, a man got up and preached, and he said that God told him the cornerstone was given the keys of the Northwest, so I'm just keeping them. Whether that's true or not, I do not know, but one thing I do know, I have the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and we are binding, and we are loosing, and this thing is moving on. Millennia. however the keys in the history books are vastly different from these decorative keys that are well defined, and they have teeth that are made in such a way that they correspond with a tumbler in a lock and they turn and open up. The keys of Bible days were often, more often than not, they were made out of wood The common household owner, the common tradesman, the common person of the day, did not have a lot of accessibility to keys and locks. There were things that were known to people that had the hierarchy and the aristocracy of the day that could afford such, uh, such things. They could understand that I need my house locked. In fact, even today... Um, there's only, there's 7% of Americans today that don't lock their front doors, mostly in rural areas, there's still people, every once in a while, I'll run into somebody who said, man, I don't even lock my front door, and it's because I live in such a safe place, but of course, our culture today knows that you better lock your house, because there's people that want to steal, even the devil wants to break in and kill, steal, and destroy, and Most of the locks and the keys were given to people that could be in such uh, positions that could afford such accoutrements um, as a key and a lock. Most of the time when people talked about keys and locks, they understood it to be relevant to prisons because they were places that necessitated that people were put in to places where they could not escape. Uh criminals were placed into holding tanks and locks were put into place so they could not get out. And so the understanding in Bible times was not that everybody had a set of keys in their pocket. But they understood that there is a place for keys and there is a place for locks. And most of it is to keep the bad guys in prison. Praise God. I'll tell you what, the gates of hell and the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Are you starting to get this? The gates of hell. A key is made for a gate, and a gate is made for a key. There's only one message that will get people out of this world. There's only one message that will break homosexuality. There's only one message that will break ephemacy. There's only one message that will bring you out of Egypt. There's only one message that will bring you out of alcoholism. There's only... Clap your hands and give God the praise. Brother Thompson, here a few years ago, I got a call from a neighboring denominational pastor. And I've told this story before, but it, 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 it makes a point. He said, is this Cornerstone Church? I said, it is. He said, well, I'm a pastor over here in Spokane Valley. And he said, I don't even know who the man was. I forgot his name. And, and uh, he said, I'm sending over to your church all of the drug addicts and all the alcoholics that are in our assembly. And I said, you just go right ahead. I said, you just, in fact, you got, a, you got some other people in there. You got some wild people. You got a wild man in Gadara that's crying out in the middle of the night from cutting himself. send him. You got some people that are transgender and confused about their orientation, just send them over. Send your mother-in-law, your father-in-law, send anybody. Because honey, when you exercise this key, it will liberate, it will loose, it will bind the devil, and it will set humanity free. Yeah. Clap your hands and give him praise. Peter is given these keys and he didn't have a clue what this was all about because all of this stuff is a revelation all of what Jesus has given him is a revelation about purpose a revelation about ministry and Peter had no idea what Jesus was really talking about. You know, sometimes God will give you something that doesn't fit where you're at in the present. But something comes around in the future, and it all begins to click like tumblers. And you say, now I know why God said what he said. And now I know what God let me go through, what I went through. See, some of you that are going, see, we're and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying this to put you down, but we... that are in western culture we have a comfort level and and depending on our culture level or our comfort level it almost determines whether i'm going to be faithful to god or not you have to understand everything that god allows you to go through is is for some purpose in the future All things work together for good to them that are called, to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. If you're going through hell today, it's because you're going to be on a mountaintop six months from now. If you're going through a valley today, it's because God sees something in you. He's got a purpose for that. Let's thank God that he knows all things. Oh. Peter has these keys and Peter is now Petra he's not just a flaky fisherman even in a moment of weakness denying the Lord you know denial and betrayal are not the same thing this word keys means that there's more than one. And the word keys is only used twice in the entirety of the word of God. Here in Matthew chapter number 16, and then once in Revelation chapter 1 verse 18, where Jesus has the keys of hell and death. However, the word key is used in more than a couple times. Luke chapter 11 verse number 52. Let's look at that. Brother Clark, Luke 11 and 52 says this. Woe unto you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You entered not in yourselves, and them that were entering in ye hindered. It's dangerous to have the truth and not share it. Psalm chapter number 1 says, standing in the way of sinners, actually blocking people that need this truth because of some situation, uh, that we have not yet dealt with in our own lives. This is the key of knowledge is simply the truth of the word of God. Revelation chapter 3, verse number 7 talks about the key of David, which is a fulfillment of Isaiah 22. I don't have time to explore that. I have a whole message on the key of David. But here it's mentioned in Revelation chapter 3. Revelation 9 and 1 talks about the key to the bottomless pit. The bottomless pit is an environment of eternity where people are going to have the sense of falling. Some of you that are falling into sin and falling into mistakes, and falling into stupidity, and falling into being backslid. their permanent condition is you will be permanently falling. I don't plan on being there. I'm just telling you it's in the Bible. And somebody said Amen. Revelation chapter 20, verse number 1, also talks about the bottomless pit. And I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. Go to the next verse if you can. Verse 2. I'm sorry, Brother Clark, I just threw that at you, but this church needs to see this. And laid hold on that dragon, that old serpent, which is called the devil. He started out as a serpent in the book of Genesis. And in Revelation, because he's been eating the souls of men, he's now a dragon. But one angel gets a hold of him, binds him with a chain for a thousand years. See, you and I were never made to go with the devil. You and I were made to go with Jesus. And I'm going to tell you what, if I've got a claw and kick and scratch and swing and slug, And give the devil a black eye. I'm not going down, ladies and gentlemen. I've already been down there. I've already been on the bottom. I've already seen other people go to the bottom. I've already seen other people lose their soul. I've already seen other people lose it all. Not this one. Come on, clap your hands and give God the praise. So Peter has these keys. He has a revelation. But he is not yet empowered. And that's what Satan feared about Peter, I believe, is the fact that he was very close to empowerment. Because when you fuse revelation with power, you are unstoppable. It is not enough to sit in a classroom and to have a thought. Or to get a thought from somebody else and it's a new thought to you. And even though it may reveal revolutionize your thinking, it's not the same as a revelation. When you get a revelation from God and then God fuses that with power, that is because you, uh, you will do damage in the spirit world. It has eternal significance. It has eternal merit. And so where do these, key, where do these keys come into play? And they come into play in Acts chapter number 2. And we're going to start in verse number one. And Brother Clark is going to help me out. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Now, what what is the day of Pentecost? The day of Pentecost was the feast of harvest that was determined in the Old Testament that the nation of Israel would gather together, regardless of how far flung The nation of Israel was, some even living up into into Europe, some into Africa, some into Asia Minor. They would make a pilgrimage three times a year to Jerusalem for three separate feasts. And this particular feast, the Feast of Pentecost, was one of those feasts where they made a pilgrimage. Okay? And let's go to verse number two. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Verse number 3. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire had sat upon each of them. Verse number 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now you have to understand that this is the will of God for every single human being. This is not just... The problem theologically in our world is you have people that go to university and get a degree and all of a sudden they use that as leverage that people that don't have a degree all of a sudden cannot understand what this book is saying. I am going to tell you, you can understand this book and not even graduate from elementary school. If you've got the baptism of the Holy Ghost, God can give you understanding that you cannot get in a classroom, you cannot get from a professor, you cannot get from philosophers. Somebody clap your hands and lift your voice. This is a revelation going out to the human race, regardless of nation and kindred and tongue and status. Somebody said, well, I don't believe in all that speaking in tongues part. That's We're trying to help you. You say, well, the speaking in tongues was done away with because of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. They know in part, they prophesy in part, when that, which, when that which is perfect has come, that which we know in part will be done away. That's not talking about God rescinding what he poured out on the human race. That's talking about when Jesus Christ comes back, there's no more need for gifts. The gifts are because right now we see through a glass darkly and revelation has got to go through the lattice of humanity and carnality. But let me tell you, prophecy is alive and well. Healing is alive and well. Knowledge is alive and well. The gifts of the Spirit are alive and well. The character of Jesus is alive and well. The power of the Holy Ghost is alive and well. If you've got that power, clap your hands and give God the praise. of the devil to try to keep people from understanding that that power is alive and well. Hallelujah. And so the Holy Ghost is poured out in that upper room. and Peter, standing up at the eleven, go to verse number 14 if you would, please, Brother Clark. This is all on the day of Pentecost. Tens of thousands of people are on the cobblestone streets of Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. And the Holy Ghost is poured out. And Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, You men of Judea and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. Next verse. For these are not drunk. When people were full of the Holy Ghost, there's, I've, had people, I've had people come into this church and say, Man, you guys look like you're on drugs. I guarantee you this feels a lot better than drugs. I don't care if it's crack cocaine, smoked in a glass pipe. I'll stop there. There ain't nothing like the Holy Ghost. I've been there and done that, ladies and gentlemen. It's better than heroin. It's better than It's better than psychedelics. It's better than Green Bud. It's better than alcohol. It's better than Jägermeister. It's better than Southern Comfort. It's better than Jack Daniels. There's nothing in this world that can compare with the power of the almighty God. And so there were people that were there for the festivities. It was was a festival. But when they spilled out into the cobblestone streets, speaking in other tongues, every man giving glory and praise to God. They said, these guys, man, the party didn't stop. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. And they partied through the night, and they're partying in the morning. Some of you all-nighters quit laughing. Peter stood up and said, these guys are not drunk, as you think. But this is that which was prophesied in the Old Testament. When you're a Jew, everything is based on prophecy and fulfillment. See, when the Jews did not accept Jesus as the Christ, they got way off track. Now they're way off track on interpreting the present. Because you cannot understand the present if you've already negated prophecy in the past and its fulfillment in the present. Let me say that again. When God fulfills something that he has prophesied, whether in your life or on those scriptures, you cannot interpret the present correctly if you have refused the fulfillment of prophecy. And so he says this was already written down by the prophet Joel in chapter 2. That in the last days, saith God, I will pour my spirit out upon all flesh. Peter's just up. He's explaining to these people what the power of the Holy Ghost was. Go to verse number 22. Peter preaches an eloquent, incredible message. This is verse number 22 of that message. You men of Israel, hear these words. Now he's shifted from what the Holy Ghost was in the present. Now he's going back to explaining the identity of Jesus. He says Jesus of Nazareth, the man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you as ye yourselves know. Go to the next verse. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. So he talks about what you're seeing in the present was prophesied in the past. But now that we've got the power of the Holy Ghost, we're going to explain to you who this Jesus really is. Verse number 24, whom God has raised up. Now he's talking about the resurrection, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Verse 25, for David, now he's going back and talking about what David said. But David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my faith. Listen, I've got to stop here long enough to say this. That you cannot be one of these kind of people that just goes to church. You get a little bite-sized, little, little thumb drive message and say that's all I need to comprehend the word of God the Apostle Peter is appealing to the height, the breadth, the depth, and the length of the knowledge, of the grasp of the average Jew's comprehension of the entirety of the Word of God. He is bringing a fulfillment of that which was already prophesied. And this is why being apostolic, this is one of the challenges, is the fact that we are all part of something that is a continuation, of something that is historical. It is archaic. We don't go to Martin Luther. We don't go to the Reformation. I don't go to John Calvin. I don't go to all that reformation theology. I don't go to some new, new, new fangled denomination that came out of a classroom in the 20th century. I don't go to some non-denominational, interdenominational church to get my revelation of theology. I go all the way back. We are connected to Abraham. We are connected to David. We are connected to the prophets. We are connected to Jesus Christ. We are connected to the apostles. Clap your hands and give him praise. one of the reasons why being apostolic, if you're going to truly be apostolic, you have to fully dive in because you cannot just say, this is the church I go to And expect to get some little John 3.16 deal to help you comprehend the issues in your life. No, no, no. They're way more complicated than that. Because the issues in your life, they originated in the spirit. And your eyes are not even opened up to the spirit. You have to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And then when your eyes are open to the spirit, you can pray right. You can live right. You can fight the devil right. You can have victory right. You can have victory over sin. You can have victory over alcohol. You can have victory over lying. You can have victory over cussing. You can have victory over profanity. Somebody, one of these modern Christian sociologists was saying that the day of big box churches is done. Well, that depends on what kind of flavor the, is in the box. Because what they're seeing is, you have to understand, at the turn of the previous century, and I'm on pause here. At the turn of the previous century, there was only nine denominations in America. They were all mainline denominations. Between the years of 1830 and 1860, some people would say three false doctrines because of freedom of religion in America. It it produced an environment in which anybody could believe anything, and it was protected by the First Amendment. So the devil took advantage of that. I don't want to name what those three are because I don't want you to feel like I'm, I'm being judgmental for the sake of being judgmental because that's not my intention. I'm just telling you, we don't, we don't look at the history books and say that's where my doctrinal perspective started. There's some people in this building that you can't even explain your doctrine you can't even explain where your doctrine originated i'll explain it for you it came out of the reformation because the only thing that existed before that was the catholic church the catholic church was in control of the history books they were in control of the printing presses they were in control of the vatican they were they had governments in their hand and they could have told people exactly what they can believe and can't believe they had inquisitions they put people to death people had to toe the line exactly what was told them to believe they were in control for 12 centuries until a monk by the name of Martin Luther that was in Wittenberg, Germany, that was translating the Bible from Latin into German, he started reading that Bible. He said, this stuff's not even in the Bible. The stuff we're doing in our religion is not even in this Bible. And he wrote 96 reasons why he could not be Catholic anymore. And he nailed him on the door of of the Catholic Church. And because King Frederick II, the Roman Catholic Church says, that guy's going to die. They excommunicated him. And put a death threat on his head. A lot like some religious groups do today. And they said Martin Luther will die. King Frederick II that was in charge in Germany said, no, I've given him asylum. He can be safe here. So Martin Luther continued to write. He continued to influence other people that were seeing, No, you need to pay attention to this because you're going to understand where modern denominational doctrine comes from. Martin Luther was the first one to leave the Catholic Church. And because he was allowed to live and influence other people, John Knox, the father of the Presbyterians, the Wesley brothers, the fathers of the Methodist Church, Zwingli, Swedenborg, the mainline denominations that started between the 15th and 16th century, all got their start because of one man, Martin Luther. And they all borrowed the same theological perspective of who God was. They just quit doing all of the liturgies and all of the vain repetitions of Scripture that the Catholics did that were not found in the Word of God. You still with me? You still like me? That was a little weak, but I'll go with it. I like you. In fact, I have a bowl of chili for you because I like you. And everybody loves chili except my wife. Okay. So the mainline denominations were prevalent between the 15th and 16th century century to 1899. And in the year 1900, in the United States of America, there was only nine mainline denominations. Today, there's over 2,500. Because what happens is, with every generation or two, The children of the people that were raised in a particular denomination said, I don't want to go back to the church of my mom and dad, so I'm going to splinter off and start. we're going to start our own religious movement. So what happened is the non-denominational movement historically did not exist before World War II. It is a cultural phenomenon. The mainline denominations existed in America through World War I into the industrial age in America and did not exist before World War II. After World War II, the boys coming home from war said, I don't want to go to a steeple, stained glass. I want something that's, man, you know, television is now in culture and movies is now in culture and cars with big fins that look like spaceship. Everyone's got one in the driveway. And the GI Bill was furnishing everybody an opportunity to buy a home. And they said, we don't want to go back to the church of our mom and dad. So the non-denominational movement was birthed, okay, sociologically after World War II. Well, what happened to the next generation? The next generation said, we don't want to go back to the non-denominational church of our mom and dad. So we're going to make it even more casual. We're moving further and further away from the rules, the regulations, and the perceived legalism of the previous generation. Now you can have holes in your jeans, wear a tank top, just come as you are. Okay, I, I haven't thrown a rock at anybody. I'm just telling you what's going on in our world, ladies and gentlemen. You already know it's the truth. You see things and you go, man, that's not even right. You see things, it's, every, it's bizarre. It looks like it walked out of Hollywood. It looks like it walked off the Fifth Avenue of New York, and it's up on a platform telling people about God. What is it? Moving further and further away with every generational move. And now they're saying the days of the megachurch is over because we're about to see another religious revolution. There's only one group of people that goes beyond postmodernism, goes beyond the non denominational interfaithism, goes beyond the turn of the previous century, goes beyond the 15th and the 16th century, goes beyond the beginning of the Catholic Church in the 4th center- century. They're apostolic. This is why I prayed for a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Because people say, no, 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 no. I've got books by professors and I've got books. I am tired of seeing God through Trinitarian writers' eyes. Give me the eyes of Paul. Give me the eyes of Peter. Give me the eyes of James. Give me the eyes of John. Give me an eyewitness of his glory. Give me somebody that was filled with the Holy Ghost. It's still alive. He's still alive. It's still alive. Clap your hands and give God the praise. And so Peter, on the day of Pentecost, 40 to 50 days after the crucifixion, Jesus had just ascended up into glory. Holy Ghost is poured out in a prayer meeting. There's thousands of Jews from all over the known world that are there to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. And now he is on his feet preaching. Verse number 33, Acts chapter 2. Therefore, being by the right hand of God, he's talking about Jesus, he he. He talked about the Holy Ghost. He explained, we're not drunk. This is the power from God. It was prophesied in the Old Testament. And now let me tell you about Jesus. Jesus was prophesied by David. Jesus was prophesied in the Old Testament. Therefore, being by the right hand of God, exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which ye now see and hear. Verse number 36. And the tens of thousands of Jews that were in rapt attention by an ex-fisherman, but a man now that understands the supernatural and a man now that has been a recipient of revelation and a man now that has been empowered by God. He said, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made that same Jesus who you crucified, both Lord Lord. Jehovah, Adonai, Master, and Messiah. Not the second person of a Trinity. When you say Jehovah in the Old Testament, honey, you said it all. When you say Messiah in the New Testament, you've said it all. This Jesus, who you crucified because he was both son of God and son of man, God has made him. God was manifest in the flesh as both Jehovah and Adonai and as Messiah. Watch how they responded. Verse number 37. For when they heard this. The word pricked there, when I first saw that word, I was thinking about somebody taking a blood test. That's not what that word means. That means to be pierced with conviction. When they were convicted in their heart that they had crucified their own Savior, they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, what do we do? What are we going to do now? Verse 38. I'm glad you guys asked. I've been holding these keys for about 20 chapters. Number one, repent. Pastor, we use Matthew 28:19. Great. Matthew 28:19 is just one of the eyewitness accounts. Don't leave out Mark. Don't leave out Luke. When you focus only on Matthew, that's Catholic. That's where the Catholics inserted that by saying that Jesus is the second person of a trinity. And we're to be baptized in the titles in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. There is no power. Those are titles. That's not a name. I'm a father. I'm a son. And I'm a pastor. There's no power in my name. The very first key he got out there was repentance. Why? Because direction is more important than perfection. The second key was to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Hold on, Peter. Somebody tugging at his robe. Listen, Peter, we were at the same place you were at. And Jesus said to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Nobody stopped him. Nobody interrupted him. Nobody got a hold of his robe because they knew that Jesus Christ is the mighty God in flesh. He's both son of man and son of God. Great is the mystery of godliness for God was manifest in the flesh. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Clap your hands and give God the praise. These are the kingdoms of heaven. They're the keys to get you in the kingdom. These are the keys of the kingdom. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And here's the last key. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Verse number 39. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Get ready, Brother Clark. There might be some folks here today because I realize the heaviness of this content, because it's challenging. I was raised United Methodist, my grandparents, my parents made sure that we went to church every so often, and uh, I, didn't look, I didn't look forward to it because they dressed, me and my brothers, we all matched, we all looked like the Three Stooges in our own little little outfits, and I just played around. I couldn't even tell you what was ever preached, but they sent us to a United Methodist church. Well, I'm going to tell you, when I was 30 years old, and somebody showed me this in the Word of God. I had enough sense to know. I said, how come nobody has ever showed me that they were baptized in Jesus' name? I thought this entire time that they were only baptized in, in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost. And they said to me, they said, look at that, look at that word name there in Matthew chapter 28. Some, some of you are able to keep up with me. You know exactly where I'm at. But go to Matthew 28 uh, if you would, Brother Clark. Let's, let's pull that up and let's examine that. Let's do an exegesis on this right now. Matthew chapter number 28. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name. Notice that the word name is singular, meaning that there is one name. There is not two names. There is not three names. There is not four names. There is one name. The Father is not a name. It is a title. Jesus said in John 5.43, I am come in my Father's name and you receive me not. He said in John 14.26 the Holy Ghost would be sent in my name. Matthew chapter 1 verse number 21 says, and thou shalt call his name jesus acts 4 and 12 neither is there salvation in any other for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved they cast devils out of the name there was miracles in the name they preached in the name there's powers in the name you got to be saved in the name clap your hands and give him praise You may be seated. Go to Acts chapter number 8, Brother Clark, and go to verse number 12 and get ready. When they believe Philip, this is in Samaria, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God. Everybody say kingdom. Everybody say kingdom. Ladies and gentlemen, you're either in the kingdom of God or the kingdom of Satan. And all you got to do to be in Satan's kingdom is do nothing. I thought I was going to get that kind of response because your rational thinking does not want to believe that. It doesn't matter what you believe. This is a cosmic struggle that goes far beyond your welfare check and goes far beyond the payment that's due this week on where you live. And how am I going to eat this next week? And what's going on at the job? This is a struggle that predates a human being. It predates the church. It predates the earth. It predates every human being. You have to understand there is a struggle between a fallen angel and a righteous God. And a fallen angel says, I'm going to take that which God loves and I'm going to take it with me just sit there if you want to just don't do anything just just be lazy just don't let yourself believe just don't let yourself get a revelation just don't let yourself come out of darkness and you and you'll be with me for eternity but there is a preacher that was sent here 26 years ago that said I'm gonna preach it because I've got keys I've got power I've got authority I've got unction. I've got revelation Somebody clap your hands and give the God a praise. All the glory. Come on, you ex-drug addicts, give him praise. Come on, you ex-sinners, give him praise. Come on, you ex-alcoholics, give him praise. There is no doctrine like this doctrine. There is no name like this name. There is no power like this power. All right. So since you academics and the college professors, Brother Wokey, are the guys that are setting the precedent, making this liberal world run, let's take an academic view of the keys of the kingdom. The very first theological aspect of study, there are three different Greek words that are used if you're going to be a student of the Word of God, whether you're going for an AA, BA, MA, THD, MA, Doctor of Philosophy, Doctor of Ministry, you have to employ this at the lowest levels. And it's called hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is a science of interpretation. And hermeneutics is not limited to scripture. Hermeneutics is also it's used in scientific study. It includes observation, it includes cause and effect in which there's different outcomes, and that's how scientists are able to observe certain outcomes and make certain determinations. But when you apply hermeneutics to Scripture, it has rules. And those rules are a safeguard to keep you and I from believing just anything. Anybody can, and I've seen, I've seen people just, they quote Scripture, but it's not in context. That's a sign of a heretic. And after the first or second admonition, it says reject being a heretic. See, if you don't understand the rules of hermeneutics that apply, whether you've got the Spirit or don't have the Spirit, You could believe anything. But thank God, truth meets all of the qualifications of hermeneutics. First rule of hermeneutics is context. The context is where people are asking, What do I have to do to be saved? If I come to you and I ask you, What do I got to do to be saved? your answer is going to tell me everything about where you are. I'm not saying I'm judging you to put you down. I'm saying I'm judging you according to the verity of the keys. You see, because I've seen people say, well, yeah, we were baptized. Where were you baptized? Well, I was baptized in the church. Well, what did they say over you when you were baptized? Well, I think they said Jesus' name. I said, do it again, and we'll make sure. Because we don't just do any brand around here. It's just one. Because there's no other name. And there's only one way they were baptized. You won't find anywhere in that Bible that they were baptized any other way but in the name of Jesus Christ. And you're never going to have power over those thoughts and power over that behavior and power over that attitude and power over pornography and power over those things until you've got the power of the living God. We already gave you the context of Acts chapter 2. Men and brethren, what should we do? Here's his chance. He could have said anything. Well, believe on the Lord and you should be saved. Romans chapter 10. Confess with thy lips, Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Call on the name of the Lord, Romans chapter 10, verse number 11. That's not what he said. People are asking the apostle, how do I, what do I do now? What am I supposed to do? Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Second rule of hermeneutics. The rule of precedence. That is the first place in the Bible after Jesus ascended to heaven where people were asked, what do I have to do to be saved? Could have said, believe John 3.16. Could have said, believe, shake the preacher's hand. Be sprinkled. Be anything. Modern day denominationalism is even doing away with baptism. They schedule it once a year, several times a year. Honey, we'll baptize you at 1 o'clock in the morning if that's what you want. If that's, if that's what it takes. If you say, I want to be baptized at 2 o'clock in the morning because I don't like crowds. We will meet you here at 2 o'clock in the morning. Because after you get the Holy Ghost, you're going to have the same spirit we've got. And you're going to say, I wish I'd have done it with my brothers and sisters. I wish I'd have been a part of the crew. I w- because they continued. They, 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 they continued steadfastly. And the same day, there were 3,000 that were baptized. First rule of biblical interpretation is context. Anybody that uses scripture out of context is wrong. Number two, second rule of hermeneutics, the rule of first use, usage of the rule of precedent. Acts chapter 2, verse number 38, sets the precedent for the entire kingdom of God. Why? Peter had the keys. They were asked, What do we do now? Peter gave him the answer. That's the foundation. Let's see if that's corroborated with the third rule, which is the rule of repetition. Well, Pastor, I got a couple of places in the Bible where it said that they didn't go down in Jesus' name. They didn't speak in tongues. Really? How many? Well, I got a couple of them. <laughs> and they kind of say that with kind of some cheesy grin. They're kind of proud of themselves. Yeah, I got it. I got a couple scriptures, pastor, that say that they didn't speak in tongues and they weren't baptized in Jesus' name. Good, good. So are you going to believe the five or are you going to believe the two? False doctrine takes the minor. True said, I got five. Why would you go with two? We can pretty well, by looking at the five, we can pretty well determine if they did this here, they did the same thing. Clap your hands and give God the praise. Why would I go? Why? Because people don't want truth. Honey, when you get this power, it'll supercharge you into another world. You can turn the television off. You can quit going to the movies. You can throw away your season pass because you're now in the kingdom of God. Acts chapter 8, verse number 12. This is a guy that's not even one of the original. He wasn't even called until Acts chapter number 6. You had widows while they were bringing all this stuff to the apostles' feet to continue to feel. Why did they do that, Pastor? Were they living communally? See, we're not supposed to have cars and houses and stuff. They laid everything at the apostles. Because you don't understand hermeneutics, you're about ready to get a revelation. That wasn't telling people they had to give up their lifestyle. Many of the people that were there for the Feast of Pentecost were from all over the known world. They only brought enough provision to last to the end of the, of the feast. But these people were saying, these that have gotten the Holy Ghost, these that have been baptized, you can stay here. We're going to pay for your hotel. We're going to pay for the all-night board We're going to pay. Clap your hands to give him praise. It was the locals sacrificing To keep the party going. Which is why Ananias and Sapphira were judged so harshly. Because they got selfish. Philip was one of the wise men called out in Acts chapter number 6. He wasn't even, he not even mentioned in the Bible until then. Neither is Stephen that gave his famous testimony in Acts 7. You can be an unknown That is feared in hell. You can be an unknown that has power with angels. Philip, preaching in Samaria. The things concerning, everybody say kingdom. Kingdom. And the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized, both men and women. Okay, smarty socks. Go to verse 15, Brother Clark. Now the apostles, Peter and John, when they were come down prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost, verse 16. For as yet the Holy Ghost had not fallen upon any of them, only, say it, only they were baptized. Why? Because it's the keys. There's only one way into this. Well, I you know, I like I like a lot of the a lot of the support groups they got in my church, and there's a lot of good people to go. To. This ain't about good people. This ain't about support groups. This ain't about big box theology. This ain't about having a good place for your, your children to go. This is about loving truth and understand I'm gonna escape the kingdom of darkness, and I'm coming into this thing, and I'm gonna walk in the power of the apostles. Okay, out of the mouth of two or three words. Let every word be established. That's how you establish a doctrine. So now we got two where the keys were used. Go to Acts chapter 10, verse number 43. Acts chapter 10, verse number 43. Peter's preaching again. Now he's in Cornelius' living room. They've been eating trail mix and drinking and Coke, and he gets up and starts preaching to everybody to give him all the prophet's witness that through his name talking about Jesus, just like he preached on the day of Pentecost, except this wasn't to Jews. This was to the Gentiles. Go to verse 44. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word. How did they know they had the Holy Ghost? Go to verse 45. And they of the circumcision which believed the Jews that came with Peter were astonished. As many as came to Peter, because then on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. Go to verse 46. For they heard them speak with tongues. Well, that speaking in tongues ended on the day of Pentecost. Man, I don't know. This is quite a ways after the day of Pentecost, ladies and gentlemen. The problem is there's so few people that have the real keys. But that's why I've come. Because God loves you. And God wants you to have the truth. Not some Reformation theology, not some postmodern theology of the 20th and 21st century, but an ancient doctrine. Peter told that generation, This that you see and hear was from generations. And now I'm here to preach to you, this was from generations. Verse 47 Can any man forbid water? that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we. Next verse. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Not just in Acts 2. Not just in Acts 8. We have already proven to you that this stands the test of proper theological testing, which is called hermeneutics. Context, what do I got? First precedent, Acts chapter 2. Frequency of usage, which means this was their doctrine. This is what they told everybody. Acts 19, verse number 1. This is many years after the day of Pentecost, ladies and gentlemen. In fact, God has called another apostle whose name was Saul. He was consenting unto Stephen's death. God calls him in Acts chapter 9, knocks him off a horse and blinds him. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, the Apostle Paul passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. Ephesus is a long way from Jerusalem. It's a long way from Samaria. I'm almost done. Stick with me. It's a long way from Caesarea where Cornelius was. Is this the only doctrine that was preached? Yes. And it came to pass. Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and found certain disciples. Verse number 2. I'm almost done. He said to them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? I love this. If you love this, raise your hand. If you just like this. We are going to quit cooking chili while I'm trying to preach. That is that is horrible. I have been fighting the aroma of chili this entire message. I may not even get any because i got meetings, but anyway. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Well, yeah, I've got the Holy Ghost because they told me according to Ephesians chapter 2 verse number 9 that when I believed, I was That's not talking about getting the Holy Ghost when you believe. That's Paul talking. This is Paul starting the church at Ephesus. They had to get the Holy Ghost just like they did in the beginning. That was Paul describing a past event that when you obeyed the gospel, you received the Holy Ghost and God sealed you. That didn't mean that all you had to do was believe, but people will lean on that. Even in the face of all these scriptures of academic proof. See, you have no business going from Romans to Revelation. Until you've walked right through the book of Acts and said, I'm going to get the only doctrine that Ephesus got, Philippi I got, Thessalonica got, Corinth got. Yeah. And so I pose a question to our dear friends. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Yeah, but man, I don't know about that speaking in tongues stuff. How do you know you got it? Well, I feel good. I heard of one guy, and I'm not putting this on you if you say that, but I heard one guy say that these big, huge healing campaigns, I'm not going to mention any names, tele-evangelists that getting out of wheelchairs and throwing canes away, he says how that works is this. It was Satan on both ends. At the time that this man prays for you, the ruling demon that's, that's, that's there tells those other spirits let loose of that man those spirits of infirmity when he prays for you let loose because you'll think that his doctrine of salvation is also correct and it drives the delusion deeper honey i'm going to tell you what you can go you 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 can be saved with just one leg you can be saved with just one eye you can be saved with just one hand but you can go to you can go to hell with an entire body you can go to hell like a body that's flinging down a bottomless pit. But I'd rather go to heaven knowing I obeyed. I've got the keys. I've obeyed the only doctrine given to men. I've obeyed the only doctrine that will bring you out of the world. I love Acts chapter 19 and verse number 2. And I'm, I'm so close to being done I can taste that chili. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? Yeah, I've got the Holy Ghost. Now, this is my pat answer, and I'm not trying to sound judgmental, but I'm a practitioner. You know, if you go and see the doctor and says, yeah, you know, I just can't keep nothing down on my gizzard. I got a troubled gizzard. He's going to ask you a few questions about your gizzard. Do you drink? Do you smoke? And so, as a practitioner, I'm, I'm, Doing this to try to help you, not try to hurt you. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? Yeah, I think so. Well, let's make sure. Because we're at the end of this thing. Well, they said to Paul, they said unto him, we have not so much as heard whether there even be a Holy Ghost. They were, these were people that were exposed to the ministry of John the Baptist, but they had not been exposed to the outpouring. Verse 3. Paul explained to them, unto what then were you baptized? The problem was how they were baptized. I've looked right into the eyes of good people that will look right at you and say, no, I was baptized right. And almost nine times out of ten, Sister Casey, they're thinking about all those family members that were baptized that way that are, that are no longer alive. You can't do anything about that, and I can't do anything about my family members that wouldn't accept this either. But this is the word of God. This is not a family heirloom or a family tradition. This is the kingdom of God, and there's keys that have to be unlocked for every soul. How were you guys baptized? They said, well, we were baptized by John, John the Baptist. Go to the next verse. Then said, Paul, will John truly baptize with the baptism of repentance? John the Baptist's ministry was only allowed to go to repentance. Because he was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. So his ministry could only go as far as repentance. John truly baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, which should come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. Verse number five. Every time the identity of Jesus is revealed and accepted, the keys are put in place. Whether it's Peter preaching that the Jesus you just crucified was both Jehovah and Messiah. Or whether it's the Apostle Paul saying the one that's coming after me. When they heard this, they were baptized. I want everybody to see this. Does that say in the name of the Father? Why? Why doesn't it say that? Why is that not found in the New Testament? Who changed it? Oh, pastor? Baptism baptism doesn't really matter. (laughs) That's exactly what the devil wants you to think. Jesus said, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and baptize, because that power, that's not dunamis. Dunamis is the power to perform. That's authority. Authority comes through the family name. And that every child on his eighth day was circumcised. If he was a Jew, he was circumcised on the eighth day. See, we don't understand the Old Testament, so we don't understand the importance of this. Jesus is continuing the thought in the New Testament. On the eighth day, he was circumcised, and that's when his name was given. That's why it's so important to study the Bible so you don't get a half bill of goods and get something that's wrong and get something that's more often than not incomplete. Well, Pastor, this church service is a little different. Sorry, I'm different. You already figured that out about 45 minutes ago. This church is different. You figured that out an hour and 15 minutes ago. But we have a responsibility. I don't have any other keys, Brother Lonnie, than what God gave to Peter. Those are the only keys I have the authority to use. Remember Ananias? He was struck dumb until it was the eighth day, and then his tongue was loose, and he said,
1: John,
0: your name is given at baptism. Colossians chapter 2, verse number 12 says, baptism is the circumcision of the heart. Acts chapter 19, let's park this thing. These are people that didn't even know that there was a Holy Ghost, didn't even know you could still speak in tongues, didn't even know that you could have that kind of power. Right. Acts chapter 19, verse number 4 is where we parked it. Let's, let's take it to 4 and then 5. John truly baptized with the baptism of repentance. That's as far as he could go, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, which should come after him. Verse 5 when they heard this, not just once, not just twice, not just three times, fourth time, meets the expectation of context, first usage, and now frequency of usage. Verse number six, and when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake in tongues years after the day of Pentecost. Welcome to the keys of the kingdom. Let's stand. Let's stand to our feet and clap our hands and give God the praise. God has it for you. God has it for your children. God has it for your kids that aren't even here today. Your kids might be sitting on a bar stool today. God's got it for them. Come on, let's let's give God some praise right now. Let's give God some glory right now. Come on, church, let's magnify the name of the Lord that brought us out of darkness into this marvelous light. Brought us out of philosophy and false doctrine and halfway doctrine, incomplete doctrine, and brought us into the truth. Every hand raised, let's praise Him. I pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him to be birthed into the womb of this congregation right now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, if you need to repent, this altar is open to you. If you need to be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of your sins, that's where Jesus buys back your sins. And you are you walk out an innocent individual. You can do that here today. If you need the infilling of the Holy Ghost, you can get that here today. Why don't you take somebody by the hand? Let's, church, let's come up to the front. Let's everybody in this building find a place around the front. Let's pray for several moments and give God the praise. friend. God has that for you. God has that kind of power for you. Well, pastor, we're having problems with our marriage. Get up in this front. Pastor, we're having problems with substance abuse. Get up in this altar. Pastor, we're having problems with confronting the past. Come on. Lift your hands and give God the praise and let God be God.
1: Jesus is great.
0: Is Come on, if you need to be born in the water and the spirit, you can do it in this house.
1: Jesus is above Come on, church,
0: help us pray. Let's lift our hands and give God the praise. God, I want truth. I want truth in the midst of every lie. The lie that the government is telling me, the lie that this world's telling me. I want a revelation from another world. Them. Lay your hand over on somebody's shoulder. Let's the pray one for another in this altar right. The
1: name of Jesus is higher,
0: all Come on, lift your hands and say, God, I may not understand all this, but I need help. I need you to get me out of this. I need you to bring me out with a mighty hand.
1: God is able she